I'm going to begin our scripture lesson back in chapter 2 at verse 41. On this particular Sunday in a great many churches across America, there is being emphasized the theme of Christian unity. And here I think there are some guidelines to assist us in our desire for a unity of believers. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and they had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which had sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, and through faith in his name, hath this man been made strong. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. I appreciate very much the words which Charles gave you about our speaker this past week. He certainly did have a lot of our students smiling and speaking about Jesus Christ. 
Uh, I was also pleased with his uh, witness in our prayer meeting session on Wednesday evening in which he talked to us about the Jesus movement and what had happened in his particular area of Florida. This great interest of the young people in the name of Jesus is completely in keeping with our passage of scripture for today. It also is in keeping because that glory which fills our souls in Jesus Christ is to shine out to others in joy. We don't want to be like the lady who went to have her picture made and the photographer took a good look at her and he said, uh, smile and then uh, after I've made the photograph you can assume your usual pose. <laughs> we want to be smiling for the Lord. Last week we were studying about the unity of believers. We saw in our lesson then in Jesus' great high priestly prayer that first of all, even though he was the very son of God himself and God incarnate in human flesh, he sought in solemn dedication to yield himself totally and completely to the will of God. He said to his father in prayer, for their sakes I sanctify myself. And always for the sake of other people, we should, too, be sanctifying ourselves so that we might let God accomplish through us what he intends to accomplish. Then Jesus made a prayer, a prayer which not only embraced his own relationship to the Father, but which embraced the relationship of his immediate disciples, the eleven who were with him then, but also those of us who would believe because of their word and also the whole wide world to whom we are to witness. Now then, in the book of Acts, we begin to see something of the results of that prayer. We begin to see that fellowship of the believers as it moves out and the name of Jesus Christ is manifest among men. There is a great outline for Christian unity that occurs in that ending of the second chapter. We are told there that after the Holy Spirit had come and Peter had preached that tremendous sermon of his at Pentecost and the 3,000 were baptized, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There was a unity in truth. If we claim to be Christians, then our faith should be anchored firmly in the doctrine of the apostles, not some so-called improvement or embellishment of it, but anchored in the doctrine of the apostles. We read that they continued in a fellowship with each other. We read that they continued in the breaking of bread, which included the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we read also that they continued in prayers. My, if we had a unity in the apostles' doctrine, a unity in the fellowship which they experienced, a unity in the breaking of bread together, and a unity of prayer, what a difference it would make. The difference it made in the early church was that fear came upon every soul. Luke is often using this word, and Luke is the author of the Acts of the Apostles. Luke uses this word to tell us that whenever the supernatural comes near, there is an awe that fills our souls and a glory that comes there. We read also that they, the believers held everything in common. 
There was a communal relationship with each other here. They helped one another. I was interested one time in a study of communism to look up the word comrade. You know where it comes from? The word comrade means those who share the same house. We share the same house of worship here, the house of God. We're to be Christian comrades. We read that each was aided according to his need. We read also that they praised God and that they had favor with the people and that God added to the church daily such as should be saved. Beginnings are always inspiring and here in the very beginning of the Christian church. Here when the Holy Spirit has so soon come, when the memories of the Lord Jesus are so vivid, these two, Peter and John, are on their way to gather up to the temple about three in the afternoon. And as they started on their way, they saw there at the gate of the temple a man who had been born crippled. His legs had been shriveled and twisted. He could not stand nor walk nor run. Someone had kindly taken him there to these massive bronze gates that were called the Gate Beautiful. I've read that it took 20 men to open these enormous gates. They were famous for the exquisite designs that were on them. They sat him there, and he begged from the people who were going in for worship. Perhaps it's right that people who are in need should be looking to the church for compassion and for love. And they looked to Peter and John. This man looked at Peter and John and asked for an alms. And Peter and John had no money to give to him. And Peter, who is now made bold by the power of the Holy Spirit, fastening his eyes upon him, looked intently at the man. He had a vision of service. And this man, too, had a vision of service that might be rendered to him by the church. He looked at Peter, and Peter looked at him. There are many people in need who are looking to those of us who name the name of Christ because they believe that those who follow Jesus will have compassion on them. I know a young man who was profoundly converted to Jesus Christ and who is today a beautiful and strong Christian who was once placed in a hospital for the criminally insane. And in the utter madness of despair, when all hope had been extinguished, he said that he had memories of ministers who had been kind to him. Although he did not know anything about God, he knew that the Bible was supposed to tell about God. And a Negro minister visited that hospital and handed him an old white copy of a Bible that looked like the type that a bride would have borne in a wedding someplace. 
And he took that copy of the Bible and he began to read it. He said he couldn't understand it, but he knew it was supposed to be about God. And he was desperate, hungry, and thirsty for God. And God gave him a profound experience in his life was transformed and he was aided and helped along by Christian friends. It's right that those who are in need should look toward us. And it's right that we should look toward them in the vision of service. This has a profound effect. A few years ago, I turned on the radio and heard to my great surprise that a man had been killed in a tragic automobile accident. When the man's name was announced on the radio, it evoked in my mind a great many memories because I could remember as a young minister having had a critical operation and having lain for weeks in a hospital wondering if I would ever be well again. I started receiving flowers and this man's name was signed to the, to the bunch of flowers. I received phonographed records. I received baskets of fruit. And then one day this man came to my room. He said, you don't know me, but I know you. I have visited your church and I have heard you preach. And we have something else in common. Once I went through the same operation that you have gone through, and once I went through the same pain that you're experiencing now. And I came to see you because I want you to know that I am well. And I want you to know that one day you're going to be well too. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. A man I'd never even seen before to my knowledge. Well, when I heard on the radio that he'd been killed in a car wreck, of course I went to the funeral. I remember arriving at a country church located on a hillside with a cemetery out near the church and I got there early. I walked inside and I saw an old Negro minister who had arrived there also. So we fell into a conversation and I told him about this man and about how he had helped me. The old Negro smiled quaintly and he said to me, he said, once our church burned, we had no money to build another church. And he came to us, and he gave us the money to get our church built again. And that's why I've come here to the funeral today, too. There was a young man standing off at some distance who heard the two of us talking, and he came over close to where we were. And he said, I didn't know that you knew John. He said, I had been discharged from a mental hospital and I couldn't get a job any place. And I always loved horses. And he asked me what I liked to do and I told him that I loved animals, that I liked horses. So he said, I'll be glad to help you to get started in a stable business. And he put up the initial investment to set up for me a stable in which I could rent horses to other people and he helped to get me on my feet again. And I thought the three of us, one who had suffered from a physical operation, another who had been in a mental hospital, 
and a Negro minister whose church had burned, and all three of us had one thing in common, that a man, because of the love of God, had shown practical and generous kindness toward us. He had seen in us objects of Christian love, and he had demonstrated his faithfulness by helping us. And we had seen in him one who had helped us and aided us, and so the three of us were there. I noticed as the church filled that there were people of every walk of life who began to gather. And I looked out over the church from the back and I wondered how many people were present there that day who had been helped by that man. It made me wonder, when my day comes to die and my coffin is there at the front, I wonder how many people would be able to come and say that I came to them in the name of Christ or I helped them because of the love of God in a time of need. And the thought occurred to me, if you're ever going to do anything for anyone to assist them in service, the time to do it is now. The time to do it is now. Billy Zioli is a producer of Christian motion pictures. He's an Italian. He's been here to our campus, and Billy Zioli told me about his father, Anthony Zioli. He is an Italian, and he was an Italian immigrant. He came to the city of Chicago. He was a pickpocket. He was a heroin addict. He was arrested and put into the penitentiary. And before he was imprisoned, he said there was in his heart a great hunger for God. And he used to grow to the great impressive church buildings in Chicago. And he said, I used to just stand there on the steps of the church, hoping that someone would speak to me, hoping that someone would invite me to come in. And no one ever did. And then he said, when I had been arrested and imprisoned in the penitentiary, Someone placed a New Testament in my room and I began to read it. And through that experience of reading it, I became a Christian. He began to grow in the Christian faith. He was so simple in his faith that when the prison chaplain said that they were going to have the Lord's Supper, he said he didn't even eat any lunch that day. He was waiting that night for the Lord's Supper. He thought if it was going to be the Lord's Supper, it would be a very fine meal. So he wanted to wait for it. He said when he came in and there was no food there, then he took his tin cup and began to beat it on the, on the table. He said the guards had stolen their food. He didn't know what the Lord's Supper was even. But Anthony Zioli became a tremendous Christian. And through his life, multitudes have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to have a vision of service, and others need to see in us those who will help in the name of Jesus Christ. Lately, I've been studying the life of Francis of Assisi. He is probably the most notable of all of the saints in Italy. And if you were asked by anybody to name your favorite saint, almost anyone would speak quickly to say St. Francis. You can tell this because of the number of girls who are named Francis, the number of boys who are named Francis, the number of hospitals that are named Francis, the number of Francis streets. And if you go overseas into Europe, you find his influence even more pervasive. If you go to York or to Oxford or to, or to London, 
you will find streets there named for St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi had been the child of a very wealthy silk merchant. At the age of 22, still quite a young man, he had become disillusioned with soldiering. And he came into a knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. He began to give away his father's money, and this, of course, did not suit his father. It was all right as long as he was the gay devotee of parties and debaucheries. But once he had turned to demonstrations of love toward the poor that entailed the giving away of his money, his father couldn't stand that. And he had him called before the leadership of the church and there in the presence of one of the bishops of the church, St. Francis disrobed and threw his clothes at the feet of his father and said from now on, the father that I speak of will be my father in heaven, and I will be his servant. He slept wherever he could sleep. He slept in leper houses. He slept in hospitals. He begged. He gave to the poor. He healed. He helped. He preached. But he always stressed to those who followed him that their messages must always be exemplified by the way in which they lived. And so it's no wonder that St. Francis continues to speak to us. Because he was in truth a medium of the message of Jesus Christ, he lived what he preached. And people have loved him. They loved him because he had a great interest in people who were in need. Gilbert Chesterton wrote these splendid lines regarding St. Francis. He says, what gave him his extraordinary personal power was this that from the Pope in Rome to the lowliest beggar, from the Sultan of Syria in his pavilion to the ragged robbers crawling out of the caves, there was never a man who looked into those burning brown eyes of St. Francis without being certain that Francis Bernardoni was really interested in him, in his own inner individual life from the cradle to the grave that he himself was being valued and taken seriously, not merely added to the spoils of some social policy or a name in some clerical document, but he was interested in people. This man looked at Peter and John and begged for alms, and they looked at him and saw an opportunity for service. And here the very first miracle after Pentecost occurs. Peter looks at this man, and in a great venture of faith, he says to him, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He reached and took the man, and immediately God worked a miracle, and that man was healed in the powerful name of Jesus of Nazareth. He stood up, he leaped, he praised God, he went into the temple to give his thanks to God. He clung to Peter and John. They had a venture of faith. They made a venture of faith in the name of Jesus. And how God honored their faith. Pope Innocent III was once showing St. Thomas Aquinas through the Vatican's treasury. And he showed him all of the great wealth of the Vatican, the jewels that were there, the golds, the, 
the gold that was there, the art treasures that were there. And then he looked at Thomas Aquinas and he said, no longer can the church say, silver and gold have I none. And the wise theologian, St. Thomas Aquinas, said, yes, your holiness, but no longer can the church say to the lame man, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. We need to use that name. Maybe that's one reason the young man from Florida had such an appeal this week. His message was not any structured intellectual bit, just a testimony, a rambling testimony at that. But what he said in his rambling testimony showed the love of Jesus Christ. And the church today may have a multitude of brilliantly built edifices, great intellectual clergy, but oh, how we need that simple faith which can communicate an experience of God to others. If you read chapter 4 of the book of Acts, you will see that later, Peter and John are marveled at because they were ignorant and unlearned men. They were not only poor, but they were ignorant and unlearned. And yet God built his church on people like that because they conveyed an experience and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. When they forbade them to preach in that name, they refused. And the people marveled at the boldness of Peter and John. Maybe our young people today, by their bold witness for Jesus Christ, are showing some of us who have been in the church a long time that we need to get away from all of the books of theology and get back to the simple message of Jesus of Nazareth and to show it by the way in which we live and to preach it in our messages. One of the most popular songs our young people have sung in the past year is a song which if I had them sing this morning, most of the young people here could sing it. It's a simple song and it speaks a message, a message about Christ. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Every time I look into the holy book, I want to tremble. When I read about the part where a carpenter cleared the temple, for the buyers and the sellers were no different fellows than what I profess to be, and it causes me pain to know I'm not the guy that I should be. Mama taught me how to pray before I reached the age of seven. And when I'm down on my knees, that's when I'm close to heaven. Daddy lived his life with two kids and a wife. You do what you must do. But he showed me enough of what it takes to get you through. That's a simple faith in a supernatural Christ. And this is one of the basic needs to be proclaimed in the church today. They had a venture of faith, faith in the name of Jesus. And they preached it with authority and power and God honored that authority and power. And then they had a vital fellowship. This man clung to Peter and John. He clung to them because he sensed in them those who really loved and cared. The word fellowship really comes from the same word that we use when we say we're going to have communion.
koinonia. Because communion means to share and fellowship means to share. And often in the church today there is so little real sharing. There is so much mistrust. There is so much fear. And I believe that the reason that the fear is there is that we have lost the faith of the apostles in many cases and we've lost their attitude toward service and their message. That if we come back to that faith and back to that vision of service, then we can have a fellowship with one another. A fellowship that will make us feel in communion because we are sharing. We are sharing. Sharing Christ. There is a great message which Paul speaks when he instructs the earliest Christians, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you trying to bear another Christian's burdens? Seriously and in prayer? Practically by the use of your gifts? Are you sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with another? That he may, be, may come into a knowledge that will save him from spiritual death. The message of the early church was a message that brought a vision of service, a venture of faith, and a vital fellowship. Silver and gold have I none, said Peter and John, but such as I have, give I unto you. The man couldn't have gotten a better gift than they made to him. And the church today can still give gifts in the name of Christ. We can give this gift of service and this gift of faith that saves for eternity and the gift of fellowship for which the world hungers. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we live in a world where a great many people are crippled at the very gates of the church, crippled spiritually so that their homes are fraught with strife and unhappiness, crippled because there is a pervading sense of anxiety and despair, crippled because there seems to be no hope and life itself is such a dull and boring routine that they often really don't want to live it. We pray that thou wilt help us to take the message of the lesson today that will enable us to continue in that doctrine of the apostles, in that fellowship which they were able to share with one another and in prayer with one another and in the sacraments of the church with one another and to show so, the, so show the love of Jesus that we may bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Thereby that which we give will be the greatest gift that any could receive, a gift of salvation and a gift of hope. If any here have not known yet that gift of salvation or hope, Grant that that person this day may realize that they can put their hand in the hand of Jesus and be saved. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.